Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, um, this is uh, Kennard speaking. Hello, everyone. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. If you heard me talking a little bit during the introduction, I had my little cat in here, and we had to get her out of here. Anyway, uh, today is January 22nd, 2011. And if you would like me to create a Bible study addressing a desired topic, then please email me at canard at mercifulserviceofgod.com with your request. Now, last week we were talking about the originator of evil and wrong, who is uh, Satan, or Satan the devil. And we went over John chapter 8, verse 44, Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 19, uh, we did talk about the fact that iniquity or sin was found in Satan. Some people believe that God created the devil. He didn't. Uh, the devil created himself, basically. And <clears throat> let's continue on with what happened to the devil. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. I'm going to quote a lot of scriptures today, as I usually do in these programs. So for those who are first listening to me, uh, the first time listening to me, get your Bible out, King James or whatever other English version you have, um, and follow with me. Uh, I'm going to quote the easy-to-read version because in, in most cases it is easy to read. Uh, Isaiah chapter 14, starting at verse 12. Now he's talking about the devil here starting in verse 12 in the easy-to-read version of the Bible, says, You are like the morning star, but you have fallen from the sky. In the past, all the nations on earth bowed down before you, but now you have been cut down. This is uh, talking about his future uh, destruction, which is uh, detailed in Revelation chapter 20, verse 13 of Isaiah chapter 14. You always told yourself, I will go to the skies above. I will put my throne above God's stars. I will sit on the fine, the holy mountain where the God meet. Verse 14, I will go up to the altar above the tops of the clouds. I will be God most high. So he wanted to be uh, God uh, in King James Version here. It's a little more clear here. It says, I will, in verse 14 in the King James Version, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. In other words, he wanted to be God himself. Verse 15, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell or the pit, to the sides of the pit. And that's what will happen to him in the future, which is described in Revelation chapter 20. 
Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Let's turn there. Easy read version in Romans 5, verse 12. Sin came into the world because of what one man did. And, of course, we understand in Genesis that that man through the woman was influenced to sin. And with sin came death. So <clears throat> prior to Adam and Eve sinning, death was non-existent. It wasn't a normal part of, of human life. So this is why all people must die, because all people have sinned. All right, and in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. In the easy-to-read version of the Bible. Hebrews 2, verse 14. These children are people with physical bodies. So Jesus himself became like them and had the same experiences they have. Jesus did this so that by dying, he could destroy and that means destroy. The one who has the power of death, the devil. So the devil has the power of death. Revelation 12, verse 12, verse 9, an easy-to-read version. This word shouldn't be it. It should be he was thrown down out of heaven. This giant dragon is that old snake, the one called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world into the wrong way. That's an excellent translation there. Who leads the world into the wrong way. The dragon and angels were thrown down to the earth. That's an easy-to-read version of the Bible. Revelation chapter 16. Starting at verses 12 to 14. This is what the devil is going to do in the future. That will lead to the battle of Armageddon. Revelation 16, verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, which, by the way, is in the area of Iraq. The water in the river was dried up. This prepared the way for the rulers from the east to come, east of the Euphrates. Verse 13, then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, the political uh, war-making power that's rising before us. Uh, it's called the New World Order right now. Uh, the United Nations has something to do with it. And out of the mouth of the false prophet. Verse 14, these evil spirits are the spirits of demons. They have power to do miracles. So just because there's many miracles done around the world in, in Jesus' name doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's from Jesus. It could be also from the devil. Uh, the scripture proves it. They have power to do miracles. So demons have power to do miracles. So let's remember that. How can they deceive unless they do? They go out to the rulers of the whole world to gather them for the battle of the great day of God or powerful or the day of the Lord. Okay, and then in verse, uh, I guess we don't have to go to the rest of the verses here. I just wanted to point out that the devil is going to influence the whole world to do battle against God Almighty. Jeremiah, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 1 to 3. 
But thank God the devil is going to get his. And in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, there's a description of what he's going to get. Uh, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven. The angel had the key to the bottomless pit. The angel also held a large chain in his hand. Verse 2, the angel grabbed the dragon, that old snake, also known as the devil or Satan. The angel tied the dragon with the chain for 1,000 years. 1,000 years he's going to be put in some area where you can't deceive the nations anymore or trick the nations or cause them to be in the wrong way. Verse 3, then the angel threw the dragon into the bottomless pit and closed it. The angel locked it over the dragon. The angel did this so that the dragon could not trick the people of the earth. Another excellent translation. Could not trick the people of the earth until the 1,000 years were ended. After 1,000 years, the dragon must be made free for a short time. So I want you to understand this, folks. We have a, an invisible, powerful spiritual being called the devil. His whole purpose of existence now, prior to what he used to do as the care of, of Almighty God by his throne, uh, is to trick people and to lead them into the wrong way. And he's done the whole world like that, except Yeshua Messiah, because he never sinned. He wasn't tricked at all because he was never he never sinned. So that is the originator of evil and wrong. That's the origin of evil and wrong. That's what I'm trying to say. And because of this, all of our generations have been deceived. And this has been prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah. If we turn to Jeremiah chapter 16. Jeremiah chapter 16, starting at verse 19 to 21. And the easy to read version. Lord, you are my strength and my protection. You are a safe place to run to in the time of trouble. That's our true place of safety, obeying God, as Psalm 91 goes into detail about that if you want to read it. Psalm 91. The nations will come to you from all around the world. That includes the United States. That includes Canada. All the other countries. They will say, our fathers have false, our fathers had false gods. And this is a prophecy. This hasn't happened yet. But this tells you the extent of the deception and trickery of the devil. For them to say that our fathers had false gods or our past generation. They worshiped those worthless idols. But the idols did not help them. Verse 20. Can people make real gods for themselves? No, they can only make statues that are not really gods. Verse 21. So I would teach those who make idols. Right now I would teach them about my power and my strength. They will know that I am God. They will know that I am the Lord. And that when you see Lord translated in the Old Testament, is really talking about YHWH, the Tetragrammaton, which means... Um, the most popular pronunciation is Yahweh, although some people say it's Yehovah, and they can't make up their minds what it is. So Yahweh is really the most popular uh, pronunciation of God's Hebrew name. Okay, God is just a title. What you see God translated in the Old Testament or the Tanakh is uh, the, the Hebrew equivalent to God is Elohim. All right? And when you see Lord, in most cases, it's translated, it should be Yahweh or YHWH, Tetragrammaton. Okay? So that 
I hope helps you to understand where evil came from, the originator of evil and wrong, and how it's going to be destroyed, and the effect that it causes on our generations. Uh, I hope uh, that you understand that, and the Bible reveals it pretty clearly. Um, whenever you see the phrase, our fathers, it's talking about our past generations. And our parents, bless their souls, uh, they only did what or taught us based on what their parents taught them. And they did the best that they could. But nevertheless, um, each and every one of us can, if we want to be honest with ourselves, know that our parents taught us something wrong. In particular, the most popular thing each and every American parent, in most cases, teaches their children is that there's a big fat man that comes down a chimney and gives uh, gifts if you're, if you're nice. Uh, and that is a lie, and unfortunately that lie is... Um, told every year, probably until the child is maybe 11 or 12 or 13 years old, and then they find out the truth, and then they wonder, well, why did my parents lie to me? Is there anything else they lied to me? I know some say, well, I didn't care about that, but no. You can't, if your parents are lying to you, it's going to affect you in some way. It's going to even encourage you to, to lie yourself to your children and tell them that there's a Santa Claus, which happens. It, 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 it repeats itself, the same error, over and over and over and over again. Anyway, I, I made a, a Bible study about Christmas. It's called The Truth About Christmas. For those who really want to know the truth about Christmas based on the Bible and what it says and based on outside of Bible secular history, then I implore you and motivate you to listen to that program. It's in the archives. Anyway, now, another big controversy that we have, particularly in this country and over in Britain, I would say, is what what, what is true freedom? Or liberty. Um, I know many people in this country think that, that liberty is just to do whatever you want to do and to hell with you. But that's that's not what true freedom or liberty is. Um, in Romans chapter ten, Romans chapter ten, starting in verse one. Now, before I even read this, many of you probably don't understand or realize that. Israel, when you see Israel, it's not just referring to the Jews. It's referring to the, the 12 tribes of Israel. In Genesis chapter 49, it reveals to you that there were 12 tribes. The tribe of Judah consists of the Jews. There's 11 other tribes. And, and so when the Bible talks about Israel, and it doesn't have Judah in the context, then it's talking about those 12 tribes. And this website that was designed and created by Yara Davidi. It's www.beasinboyritam.org. I'm trying to get his website um, popularized, I guess. I'm trying to do whatever I can to, to have people go to it because it is the truth. It tells you who we are as a people, and it reveals through the Bible and through secular sources, also Jewish writings, that the United States and Britain and, and Canada and the countries of Northwestern Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa all has something to do with those 12 tribes. And, of course, the, the little nation of Israel in the Middle East as well. So, based on that, in Revelation chapter 10, and not in Revelation, Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire, this is in the King James Version, let me read it in the other version. See how that how it reads here. Romans chapter ten, 
Verse 1 in the easy-to-read version. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He's talking about Israel. And then in the King James Version, it says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And, you know, our people, we, 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 we love Jesus, right? Uh, we, we love God, but it's not according to knowledge. I mean, we, we teach right now that Jesus created different commandments than his father. And I proved last program he did not. He said he kept his father's commandments. And he tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, through the apostle John, that we need to walk in his footsteps. One of the things he did in his footsteps is he walked to the Jewish synagogue and went to the to Sabbath services. Okay, in addition to that, through his feet, he also walked to Jerusalem to keep the holy days. He did all those things. Are we doing those things? Are we doing those things physically or even spiritually? Are we trying to at least keep the Shabbat and keep the holy days like he did? And if, if you want to be honest with yourself, most Christians aren't doing that. And yet they say that they follow Christ. Anyway, that's what this verse is talking about in verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Verse 3, for being ignorant, don't know, ignorant, of the righteousness of God. What's the righteousness of God? Psalm 119, verse 172 states that the righteousness of God is his commandments. Okay? And seeking to establish their own, and that's what we've done, we have created a religion called Christianity that forgets the fact that Jesus is a Jew, forgets the fact that the first century church was Jewish, forgets the fact that Jesus' recruits, all of them, were Jews, forgets the fact that Jesus stated in John chapter 4, let's turn there, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Starting in verse uh, 22. An easy-to-read version of the Bible. It says, you Samaritans worship something you don't understand. We Jews understand what we worship. He called himself a Jew. He was among the Jews. He was a Jew. Since salvation comes from the who? Does it come from the Catholics? Does it come from the Protestants? Does it come from people who worship Buddha? Islam? No. It comes from the Jews. That's what it comes from. And then Romans chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. In the easy to read version of the Bible. So. Do Jews have anything that others don't have? Do they get any benefit from being circumcised? In other words, being a Jew. Verse 2. Yes, the Jews have many benefits. The most important one is this. Colon. Contain the thought. God trusted the Jews with his teachings. Verse 3. Is it true that some Jews were not faithful to God? It is true, rather, that some Jews were not faithful to God. But would that stop God from doing what he promised? No. No, it's not. Okay, so... We can't use that as an excuse. The Jews will and always will play an important role in the, in the scope of things. And we have to acknowledge that. In Romans chapter 10, let's continue there. In verse 3, 
It said they did not know the way that God makes people right with them, with him. And uh, I'm reading this in an easy-to-read version, verse 2. It says, I can say this about them. They really try hard to follow God, but they don't know the right way. That's a, easy, that's a more clearer translation of that. In verse 3 of Romans chapter 10, they did not know the way that God makes people right with him. And they tried to make themselves right in their own way. And that's what we're doing in many of these different churches across the United States. So they did not accept God's way of making people right. And I'm going to read this in another version because people really think that this scripture in verse 4 states that Christ ended the law. And that's not what it's saying there. For Christ is the end of the law. All right? So let's take a good look at this. Uh, the word in there means goal. So Christ is the goal of the law, okay, uh, for righteousness. And what is righteousness? You look up righteousness in Psalm 119, verse 172, is keeping God's commandments to everyone that believeth. Now, most people stop there and say, oh, Christ, end of the law. Well, go to verse 5. It says, for Moses, uh-oh, Moses again, describe the righteousness which is of the law. So there is righteousness in the law. And righteousness, again, is keeping God's commandments, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Okay, so it's amazing how people, they, they read the verse 4, and, and they don't read verse 5. And verse 5 explains you what verse 4 is talking about. And and uh, that's when people get really mixed up with uh, thinking that Paul was teaching that the law is done away with, and it's not. Okay, John chapter 8, verse 32. John 8, verse 32, in the easy-to-read version, You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. All right, so what is the truth? Many people don't even know what that is. Well, let's turn to John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. He's three things. He's the way, he's the way you should live, he's the truth, and he's the life. The only way to the Father is through me. It's not through anything else but through him. That's a scriptural definition of what the true faith is. Okay? Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 142. And let me read this in the King James Version. It's clear. Psalm 119, verse 142 says, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law, or Torah, teachings, is the truth. So that's the Bible definition of what the truth is. And if you go to 150, the truth is Jesus, and also Jesus is the Word of God, and the Bible is the written Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 151, it says, Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth, or is the truth. That's in the King James Version, and, and that's in Psalm 119, verse 151. So we, we have a clear definition of, of 
God's commandments and what they are. So, you know, I hope that's pretty clear to you. I'm trying to make it as clear as I can. And Psalm 119, 151 again. All thy commandments are truth. The commandments are truth. The Torah is truth. All the teachings of God and the commandments are the truth. And if you don't love those commandments, if you don't put those commandments in your life and, and try to do the best you can to obey them, then you're not living the way of truth, which is the way of life, which is Yeshua's way. Okay, James chapter 1, verse 25. James chapter 1, verse 25. 973-674-0034, you're on your air. Yes, how are you? Okay. I wasn't sure. I was waiting to hear if I had to press 1. Um, my name is uh, Rasul. I mean uh, Independent Ministry. I'm calling from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just got in your room, I was on it a few minutes, and I was looking at the part and listening where you say, uh, obey the commandments of God mm-hmm. and what is uh, good and evil. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd like to say that uh, when you, when the baby comes out the womb of the mother and goes to the mother's breast for milk, there was no book or commandment that that baby had read. When the human being looks at nature, for example, when you look at the tree, the apple tree, and the way that it bears fruit and gives, or if you also go up on the tree on a hot, sunny day and the shade protects you, uh, you learn from that. Hello? Okay, I guess the... Uh Hung up then. Anyway, let's continue on here with that. And, you know, I understand what he was saying about that, you know, but again, God has revealed to us a book that we should follow. And as I explained in the other program uh, and other previous programs, that's the reason why we are suffering right now. That's the reason why we have death. That's the reason why we have all kinds of abominations that are going on worldwide and historically worldwide because we don't obey the commandments of God. The commandments of God, that's the only type of laws that will bring us all to peace and will give the whole entire human race salvation. So uh, he was making a point that, hey, when I was born there was no book and all that, but you know, basically God has revealed uh, his will, and what he wants to do through the book called the Bible. And if anyone doubts that, all you need to do is obey the commandments, and you'll see. You'll see that God exists. That's the proof. That's what he challenges each and every one to do, is to live out those commandments. There's a reason why there's death. There's a reason why people suffer. We can't ignore that. There is good and there is evil. And there is right and that and there is wrong. The prophet Malachi prophesied that people would get mixed up on that. Uh let's turn to Malachi. Malachi chapter um two 
And I'm going to read this in the King James Version. And then in verse 18. Oh, wait a minute. Here we go. Verse 17 of Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. It says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, Wherein have we wearied him? When you say everyone that does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or where is the God of judgment? And as I'm going to reveal today, we have a problem with that. We don't even know in this country among leaders whether or not being gay is right or wrong. We don't even know in this country among certain leaders, I hate to say this, unfortunately, with Obama, our president. He doesn't even know whether or not a fetus is a human being or not. Okay, and uh, Malachi, God through the prophet Malachi, has prophesied this, and it's coming to pass as I'm speaking. We don't know, and I'm not saying everybody in this country, but the majority or people who should know don't know what what is right and what is wrong. People of notoriety, people who we almost worship, don't know basic common sense. Okay, and that's what the Bible is talking about. And we can't we can't run away from these things, and we have to face these things and face reality. And and for those people who think that the Old Testament is toilet paper, I, I want to go to Second Peter chapter three again in verse one. It says this second epistle, beloved, this is in the King James version. I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Okay, and he's telling us we better be mindful of the words spoke by the holy prophets, which Malachi was one of them, and of the commandment of the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Okay, and he says in verse 3, Knowing this, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And people had that attitude today, uh, just like this... um, there's one politician in San Francisco saying, well, hey, you know, uh, there's gay stuff going on, but, you know, nobody's destroyed yet. Doesn't mean they won't be. Just because God hasn't, because of his mercy, hasn't judged us yet doesn't mean he's not going to. Okay, so don't let that those statements like that deceive you. Uh, God is not playing around. I mean, he's kind and loving, but, hey, <laughs> he's not going to tolerate very long us uh, disobeying him collectively as a human race. Let's turn to James chapter 1, verse Chapter 1, verse 25 states, But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty, so that's what the Torah is, the, the laws of God, is the, is the law of liberty, and continue there, and he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So I know a lot of ministers, they teach that, you know, you don't have to, to do the law anymore. Jesus Christ did it for you. you know, you're just spitting your blood on you and you don't have to worry about your sins. 
That's not true. We still, those that the blood of Christ removes our past sins. <laughs> and then from there, we have to live a life of repentance, changing, keeping the law of God. That's what we have to do. It's not about Jesus doing it all for us. You know, that that's not about that. And unfortunately, that's been preached for a long time now. And it really needs to stop. James chapter 1, verse 25 in the... Uh, Easy to read version says, but one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That's an excellent translation there of that scripture. And then in uh, James chapter 2, starting in verse 10, in the easy to read version of the Bible, actually I read it in the uh, English Standard Version, the easy to read version, and James chapter 2, verse 10 and 11 and 12. Says you might follow all of God's law, but if you fail to obey only one command, you are guilty of breaking all the commandments in that law. In verse 11, God said, do not commit adultery. The same God also said, don't kill. So if you don't, and actually that should be don't murder. So if you don't commit adultery, but you murder someone, you are guilty of breaking all of God's commandments. You will be judged, and this is in the New Testament. You will be judged by the law that makes people free. And what are people being free from? People are being free from being cursed because that's what happens when you break God's law. You are cursed. I don't know about you folks, but I don't want to be cursed. I want to be free from curses and diseases and problems. And if you, when you keep God's law, you become free of that. You should remember this in everything you say and do. All right? And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. And many Christians today don't do this. Uh, in First Peter 2, verse 16, but it says, Live like free people, but don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. And that's what many people do in this country. They use their freedom that the Constitution gives us to do evil, to make excuse to do evil. It says, Live as those who are serving God. Galatians chapter 5. Thirteen to twenty-six, and in the easy to read version, my brothers and sisters, God chose you to be free, but don't use your freedom as an excuse to do what pleases your sinful selves. Instead, serve each other with love, and I explained what love is last week. Verse 14, the whole law is made com complete in this one command, love your neighbor the same as you love yourself, which is the summation of all the commandments of God. Verse 15, if you continue hurting each other and tearing each other apart, be careful or you will completely destroy each other. Verse 16, so I tell you, live the way the Spirit leads you, then you will not do the evil things your sinful self wants. The sinful self wants what is against the spirit, and the spirit wants what is against the sinful self. They are always fighting against each other so that you don't do what you really want to do. Verse 18. But if you let the spirit lead you, you are not under the law. Now, under the law means that being under the curse of the law. Being above the law means that 
you are obeying God and you won't be cursed. Verse 19, the wrong things the sinful self does are clear. Committing sexual sin, being morally bad, doing all kinds of shameful things, worshiping false gods, taking part in witchcraft. So this is a real easy definition of what being evil is. So, so listen up. Hating people, causing trouble, being jealous, angry or selfish, causing people to argue and, di- and divide into separate groups, being separatist, that's, that's against God's commandments. Verse 21, being filled with envy, getting drunk, having wild parties, and doing other things like this. I warn you now, as I warned you before, the people who do these things will not have a part in God's kingdom. Verse 22, but the fruit that the Spirit produces in a person's life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these kind of things. If you're doing these kind of things, then there's no law or curse against these type of things. Verse 24, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified their sinful self. You need to destroy your sinful self. They have given up their old selfish feelings and the evil things they wanted to do. Verse 25, we get our new life from the Spirit, so we should follow the Spirit. We must not feel proud and boast about ourselves. We must not cause trouble for each other or be jealous of each other. So that's a good biblical uh, description of what righteousness is and how we can obey God. Uh, In Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6. An easy to read version of the Bible. So you do so do you think we should continue sinning so that God will give us more and more grace? Of course not. Our awful our old sinful life ended. It's dead. So how can we continue living in sin? And that's what they teach today. Majority. Verse 3. Did you forget that all of us became part of Christ Jesus when we were baptized? In our baptism, we shared in his death. So when we were baptized, we were buried with Christ and took part in his death. And just as Christ was raised from death by the wonderful power of the, of the Father, so we can now live a new life. Christ died and we have, uh, notice, new life. Verse 5, in Romans chapter 6, Christ died and we have been joined with him by dying too, so we we will also be joined with him by rising from the dead as he did, which tells you our resurrection will be similar to his. Verse 6, we know that our old life was put to death on the cross with Christ. This happened so that our sinful selves would have no power over us. Then we would not be slaves to sin. Verse 7, anyone who has died is made free from sin's control. That's what I've been trying to explain to you. Through God, through the Apostle Paul, is making it even clearer. In verse 7, anyone who has died is made free from sin's control. That's what you're free from. That's what true liberty is. Free from sin's control. Verse 8, if we die with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. Verse 9, Christ was raised from death, and we know that he cannot die again. Death has no power over him now. In verse 10, Yes, when Christ died, he died to defeat the power of sin one time, enough for all time. He now has a new life, and his new life is with God. In verse 11, in the same way, you should see yourselves as being dead to the power of sin and alive for God through Jesus Christ. Verse 12, but don't let sin control your life here on the earth. You must not be ruled by the things your sinful self makes you want to do. Verse 13, don't offer the parts of your body to serve sin. Don't use your bodies to do evil, 
but offer yourselves to God as people who have died and now live. Offer the parts of your body to God to be used for doing good. It's about service. It's about caring about other people. Verse 14, sin will not be your master because you are not under the law. There we go. That's the definition of being under the law, sin being your master. And when sin is your master, you are cursed. You now live under God's grace. Verse 15. So what should we do? Should we sin because we are under grace and not under law? Certainly not. Verse 16. Surely you know that you become the slaves of whatever you give yourselves to. Anything or anyone you follow will be your master. You can follow sin or you can obey God. You have two choices. That's the dichotomy here. Either you're going to follow the devil or you're going to follow God. Those are your two masters. You're going to have to pick and choose which one you want to follow. Following sin brings spiritual death, but obeying God makes you right with him. So picture the dichotomy again. When you follow the devil, it's death. But when you follow God, it's life. Verse 17, in the past you were slaves to sin. Sin controlled you. But thank God you fully obeyed what you were taught. Verse 18, you were made free from sin. Not free to do whatever you want, free from sin. And now you are slaves to what is right. We should be slaves to what is right. Verse 19, I use this example from everyday life because you need help in understanding spiritual truths. In the past, you offered the parts of your body to be slaves to your immoral and sinful thoughts. The result was that you lived only for sin. In the same way, you must now offer yourself to be slaves or servants, that's what that word should be translated to, service to what is right. Then you will live only for God. Verse 20, in the past you were slaves or servants to sin, and you did not even think about doing right. Verse 21, you did evil things, and now you are ashamed of what you did. Did those things help you? No, they only brought death. Verse 22, but now you are free from sin, you have become slaves or servants of God, and the result is that you live only for God. This will bring you eternal life. Verse 23. When people sin, they earn what sin pays, death. But God gives his people a free gift, eternal life, in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you ever, ever wonder what, what, what the deal is with sin, and what is liberty, and etc., read Romans chapter 6. It really explains it to you in a way that is very clear if you want to obey the Scriptures. All right. Now, there are blessings and cursings for obeying God's commandments. And, you know, many people focus on the curses, but they don't focus on the blessings. And I'm going to try to uh, to focus on, on some of the blessings here in the 47 minutes I have. I'm going to get into abortion and homosexuality here, so I'm going to try to go as quickly as I can here, because those are the biggest issues in this country. We, we, we just don't understand what the deal is with abortion or homosexuality, and it's causing our nation to be destroyed because of that. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 27. Now, I'm going to read all this because I don't, I don't know if too many people because, of course, traditional Christianity in this country teaches that the Old Testament is toilet paper, so I have to read some of uh, 
some of these scriptures to help you understand God's mind and how he thinks through the prophet Moses. And many people forget that Moses was a prophet. Anyway, Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 1, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible, says, Moshe and the elders of Israel spoke to the people. Moses said, Obey all the commands that I give you today. All right, he didn't say you can pick and choose which ones you want to obey. All right, verse 2, you will soon go across the Jordan River and... 1 Corinthians chapter 10 explains you that we should follow and remember the example of the of our ancestors. All right? So if anyone doubts it, hey, this isn't relevant for today. Verse 2. You will soon go across the Jordan River into the land that the Lord your God has given you. On that day you must put up large stones, cover them with plaster. Now, verse 3. Then write on the stones all these commands and teachings. So let me ask you something. Why would God command the great prophet Moses for the people of Israel to write every, all the commandments, not just the Ten Commandments, but all the commandments that God gave Moses on a stone. Obviously, he feels that all the commandments were important for the nation of Israel and for the world to obey. Verse 3, then write on, on the stones all these commands and teachings. You must do this when you go across the Jordan River. Then you may go into the land that the Lord your God has given you, a land filled with many good things. The Lord... The God of your ancestors promised to give you this land. After you go across the Jordan River, you must do what I command you today. You must set up a stones on Mount Ebal. You must cover these stones with plaster. Also, use some stones there to build an altar to the Lord your God. Don't use iron tools to cut the stones. You must not use cut stones to build the altar. You must not use cut stones to build the altar for the Lord your God. Offer burnt offerings on this altar to the Lord your God. And you must sacrifice and eat fellowship offerings there. You didn't enjoy yourselves there together with the Lord your God. We don't do this because there's no temple built in Jerusalem, so we can't do this. But when a temple is built, and it will be built soon, people will be doing this again. Verse 8, you must write all these teachings on the stones that you set up, write clearly so that they are easy to read. Verse 9, Moses and the Levite priests spoke to all of the Israelites. People, I mean, Moses said, be quiet and listen, Israel. <laughs> Today you have become the people of the Lord your God. And, they, and the reason why they were the people of the Lord their God was because they, they had made an agreement to obey him. Verse 10, and anyone, no matter what type of human race you are, if you tell God you're going to obey him and you obey him, then you become his people as well. Verse 10, you must do everything that the Lord your God tells you. You must obey his commandments and his laws that I'm giving you today. Verse 11, that day Moses also told the people, verse 12, after you have gone across the Jordan River, these tribes will stand on Mount... Let me just skip down here. I don't have to read the rest of this here. Now, verse 15, actually in verse 14, let's start there. It says, And the Levites will say to all the Israelites in a loud voice, verse 15, Cursed is the one who makes a false god and puts it in the secret place. And this is if you violate the laws of God. He has a list of curses here. These false gods are only statues that some worker makes from wood, stone, or metal. The Lord hates those things. And all the people will answer, Amen. Verse 16, the Levites will say, Cursed is the one who does not show respect to their father or their mother. Now, this is a very important one, uh, folks. Uh, it says here, Curse to the one who does not show respect to their father or their mother. I don't see, well, what if my father acts stupid or dumb or is ignorant? I don't see that special exception there. It says, that you must show respect to your father or your mother, even if they treat you bad. That's what we have to do. I know that's hard. Believe me, I know. But you have to do it. 
And believe me, I know the times when I didn't do it, I got cursed. All right? So I'm just telling you for your own good that you need to respect your father and your mother despite them mistreating you. Now, if there's a life and death situation, you got to do what you have to do. You have to defend yourself. But if it's not a situation like that, then you have to deal with your parents in a respectful way, regardless if they mistreat you. Uh, then all the people will answer, Amen. Verse 17, the Levites will say, Curse is the one who moves a neighbor's landmark. Then all the people will say, Amen. That's, in other words, you, you're messing around with a neighbor's property. Verse 18, the Levites will say, Curse is the one who tricks a blind man into going the wrong way. And that is a very wicked thing to do. And it says, Then all the people will say, Amen. For people who have done that, you will get cursed. Uh, verse 19, the Levites will say, Curse is the one who does not give fair judgment for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Then all the people will say, Amen. And let me pause here. This is one of the things that we are really guilty of here in this country. We do not give fair judgment to the foreigners, uh, orphans, or widows, all the foreigners. And what I mean by that is that we have almost 50 million people in this country right now that's on food stamps. We are the richest country in the world. We have the most billionaires in the world. Former presidential candidate John Edwards stated that we would only need $20 billion, that's what it would be, $20 billion a year to eliminate poverty in this country. So what is the problem? You know, what is the problem with us not helping the orphans and the widows and the foreigners and, and, and other people who uh, need help? Verse 20, the Levites will say, Curse is the one who shames his father by having sexual relations with his father's wife. Well, this is a great sin. Then all the people will say, Amen. Verse 20, the Levites will say, Curse is the one who has sexual relations with any kind of animal. And all the people will say, Amen. Verse 22, the Levites will say, Curse is the one who has sexual relations with his sister or half-sister. And all the people will say, Amen. And verse 24, the Levites will say, Curse is the one who kills anyone, even if he is not caught. Then all the people will say, Amen. Verse 25, the Levites will say, Curse is the one who takes money to kill an innocent person. Then all the people will say, Amen. And this is, you know, alludes to abortion. Um, doctors are given money to kill innocent babies. And this nation has been cursed because of that, folks. Verse 26, the Levites will say, Curse is the one who does not support the law and agree to obey it. And this this is a, a total curse on, uh, on on not obeying any part of the law. It says, "Curse is the one who does not support this law and agree to obey it." And this falls in line with uh, James. I quoted that scripture to you earlier in James, where it says, "You break one, you break them all." Same concept there, Deuteronomy twenty-seven verse twenty-six. It says, "Curse is the one who does not support this law." And then in the King James version, it states, uh, "Curse be." He that conformeth not to all the words of this law to do them. And all the people shall say, Amen. So those are the curses. Those are the curses. And in Isaiah chapter 13, how much time do we have left here? 38 minutes. Isaiah chapter 13, starting in verse 6. And I'm going to read this in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. It says, The Lord's special day is near. So 
So cry and be sad for yourself. A time is coming when the enemy will steal your wealth. God all-powerful will make that happen. And he says right here, uh, people will lose their courage. Fear will make them weak. Everyone will be afraid. They will stare at each other with shock on their faces. Fear will grip them like the pains of a woman in childbirth. Verse 9, look, the Lord's special day is coming. It will be a terrible day. God will be very angry. He will destroy the country and wipe out the sinful people who live there. The skies will be dark. The sun, the moon, and the stars will not shine. This is alluding to the sixth seal in the book of Revelation. Verse 11, the Lord says, I will cause bad things to happen to the world. I will punish the evil people for their sin. Now, in the King James Version and other versions, it's a different, more clearer translation here. In verse 11 of Isaiah chapter 13, it says, I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. And then in the King James Version of verse 12, I will make a man more precious than the than gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. Okay, so the population of the world, as the book of Revelation reveals as well, will be decimated. It won't be that many people on the earth. I really estimate it will be uh, perhaps uh, 10% of the population uh, left on the planet earth, which it may be up to 7 billion people by that time, so maybe 700 million people perhaps will be left on the earth. That's just an estimate, but that's 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 a far, um, that is a much reduced population versus 7 billion people. So that that's where we're headed, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, if we don't get our act together here and, and start to, to recognize the eternal God. And in King James Version, Isaiah 13, verse 13, says, Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place. So the earth is going to remove out of her orbit. That's how bad things are going to get in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. That's where we're headed, ladies and gentlemen. And in Isaiah chapter 24, and this is all because, and I was trying to, this is going to be a direct answer to this individual about, you know, uh, keeping God's commandments and so forth. The reason why there's no peace in the world is because we don't keep his commandments, as God will reveal here in this passage of Scripture through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 24, verse 1, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. Actually, no, I'm going to read this in the King James, a better translation. Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and maketh it waste and turns it upside down and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. Verse 2. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the servant, so with his master, as with the maid, so with his mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the taker of usury, so with the giver of usury to him. So in other words, it's going to affect everyone. Verse 3. The land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word, meaning that this is a sure thing to happen. Verse 4. The earth mourneth and fadeth away. The world languisheth and fadeth away. The haughty people of the Lord do languish. Verse 5. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant, which is the covenant to obey his commandments. And... Because of breaking the everlasting covenant, this is what's occurring as I'm speaking. Therefore, have the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate or will be desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth 
are burned and few men left. And that is what's going to happen because of us not obeying God. And we are already being cursed because of that. Deuteronomy chapter 28, I don't have time to read all of that, but Deuteronomy chapter 28 lists the blessings and the cursings. If you obey God, you get blessed. If you don't obey God, you're cursed. Please read it. Uh, In Psalm 119, Psalm 119, There are consequences for our actions, and we need to to recognize that and not run away from that. Psalm 119, verse 165, in the King James Version. Psalm 119, verse 165, Great peace have they which, not little peace, but great peace have they which love thy law or commandments or Torah, and nothing shall offend them or cause them to fall. And verse on why? Because verse 166 states, Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. So when you hope for salvation, you do the commandments. You don't forget about them, you do them. Because you hope for salvation, which is eternal life. Isaiah chapter 32. Starting at verse 17. This is an important scripture because it shows you righteousness has something to do with peace. Isaiah chapter 32, verse 17, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. So if you're being righteous, if you're truly being righteous, because righteousness has something to do with keeping God's commandments, then you will be a peaceful person. And you will be a uh, a person that is for peace. And you will preach peace and, and talk about peace. And the effect of righteousness, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. So this is a very powerful scripture because it shows you that by keeping God's commandments, there will be peace and quietness. As I've explained many times in this program, we truly don't have peace. Most people think of peace as people aren't fighting, people aren't shooting each other. But that doesn't stop horrible thoughts from the mind. It doesn't stop people from hating one another. It doesn't stop the fact that I have to, each and every day when I go out of my house, I have to lock the door because I don't know if somebody's going to break into my house. I, you know, I, I can't trust anybody to... Uh, I have to lock up my car because I don't know whether or not somebody's going to break into my car. Uh, we can't even go to a grocery store today without a shooting, just like this poor congressman got shot in the head. You know, we, you know, we need God's miraculous protection to be saved because this world is very wicked. And the reason why is because most of us don't really keep the commandments uh, in a way where it's going to bring worldwide peace, as Isaiah chapter 2 prophesies, verse 1 to 4. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. And then in verse 18 of Isaiah chapter 32, and it says, And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation, and in sure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. We can't, there's no way on earth anyone can convince me that this is the state of the entire world, that people are all dwelling in peaceful habitation. Come on now, let's be honest, and in sure dwellings and in quiet meeting places? I don't think so. I don't think so. All right. Now, the two major problems that I see this country has right now, in the remaining 30 minutes, I'm going to cover each and uh, the two major 
problems that causes all kinds of political squabbles and everything else is abortion and homosexuality. I'm going to address abortion first, and I'm going to quote basic scriptures that a little child can understand about abortion. And I hope that anyone that has connections to the White House, that they listen to this, in particular Barack Obama, our president, listens to this and realize that God states that a fetus is a human being based on the scriptures. Okay, so let's turn to John Job 3, verse 3, and I just want to begin that these scriptures will prove that life begins at conception according to the Bible. Now, you can say, well, I don't believe the Bible and all that. Well, you know, that's your, that's your opinion. But your opinion, ultimately, when you stand before God's throne, better uh, compare to his opinion or else you won't be around to, to even voice your opinion anymore. Anyway, Job chapter 3, starting in verse 3. Read this in the King James Version. Job chapter 3, verse 3. It says, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said, There is a man-child conceived. That's a very powerful scripture, because it says there's a man-child conceived. That tells you at, the con at conception, God considers that human being a child is a human being. Okay, but if you need more proof, let's continue on. Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25, beginning of verse 21. Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 21. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Okay, so Rebekah conceived. Now, verse 22, And the children struggled together, so God considered them children. Children are human beings. And God considered them human beings that were struggling within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. Verse 23, And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. So he considered them people in her womb, okay? And the one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. And verse 24, And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Okay? So anyway, again, this proves that God considers whatever is in the womb to be a human being. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 4. Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I adorned thee a prophet unto the nation. All right, so that proves again that God considers conception at, at conception 
He considers you a human being. Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Here's more proof. Luke 1, verse 15. For he shall, and this is talking about John the Baptist here, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor a strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So why would God fill something that's not a human being with his Holy Spirit if it wasn't a human being? Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. All right, verse 36. Of Luke chapter 1. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son. She conceived a son. A son is a human being. So that scripture, again, is pretty clear that God considers through the Apostle Luke, not the Apostle Luke, but you know he was a follower of Paul and of Yeshua, God considers a son can be conceived. Conception, in this scripture, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. All right? Um, a son is conceived in Elizabeth's womb. Now, uh, in verse 41 of this same chapter, And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. So the baby leaped in the womb. That was uh, John the Baptist. Alive, a human being, he leaped in the womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she spoke out with a loud voice, saying, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So for John the Baptist to have enough wisdom to do that, obviously he was a human being, folks. Okay? And in verse 44 it says, For so as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy is considered a baby, which a baby is a human being. Okay, so, you know, God's scriptures are very clear, folks. We have to stop thinking we know better than him and just find out for ourselves what God says instead of listening to people who know what they're talking about. Psalm 139, starting in verse 13. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13. It says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and thy soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously walked in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuous were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. So this this describes what he was in the womb, and he's, he's recognizing that God considers him a human being. Let me see if this is in another clear translation here, 139, uh, verse 13.
Psalm 139, verse 13, in the easy-to-read version, you formed the way I think and feel. You put me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because you made me in such a wonderful way. I know how amazing that was. You could see my bones grow as my body took shape hidden in my mother's womb. You could see my body grow each passing day. You listed all my parts, and not one of them was missing. So that's a description of God is aware of what's going on, and he considers. It's not, it's not a, a full-pledged human being, but it's a human being in the womb. So to answer Mr. Barack Obama's question, yes, a fetus is considered, according to God's word, a human being. All right, uh, Exodus chapter 21. This is a controversial scripture, I think, that people use. In, see, Exodus chapter 21, starting at verse 22. All right, Exodus chapter 20, verse 22. If men strive and hurt a woman, this is in the King James Version, with child, again, the Bible is talking about the baby being a child. A child is a human being. So that her fruit departs, so the fruit is associated with a child. All right? And yet no mischief follow. So this is talking about a miscarriage. Miscarriage. He shall be surely punished according as a woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief foul, thou shalt, thou shalt give life for life. So what, what this is basically saying is that aborting babies is innocent blood shed, based on the context of that scripture. And in Exodus chapter 23, beginning in verse 7, this is a commandment that tells us that we must not slay the innocent. Now, a baby in a in the womb of a mother is innocent, right? Okay. And in Exodus twenty three verse seven, keep thee far from a false man. In other words, you shouldn't lie. And the innocent. And by the way, this is another commandment that condemns the the unhealthy tradition of Christmas when they go around lying about a fat man coming down a chimney. It says here. Keep thee far from a false matter. So that means keep ye far from Christmas. But but you know people don't they want to justify the practice but anyway. And the innocent and righteous slay thou not, for I will not justify the wicked. So I feel sorry for these doctors over the years that have uh, aborted babies, unless uh, the woman's life is at stake. God does not uh, approve of abortions, folks, and. Uh, almost all the abortions were not done because of the woman's life is at stake. It was, it was done because the woman does not want the baby. Okay, and that God is going to judge the doctor and the woman for that. And if the husband agreed to it or the father agreed to it, now of course if the father did not agree to it, then he's not going to hold that against him. You know, but it, it, it's a very serious thing, folks. God does not like that. He does not like that at all. And in Proverbs chapter 6, then I'm going to read you some statistics that are going to be pretty alarming here. And it should, if you have any humanity at all in you, should disturb you. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, starting at verse 16 to 17. 
says, These six things does the Lord hate, in the King James Version, yes, seven are an abomination to him. Verse 17, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. This is one of the six things that he hates. He hates abortion, folks. He hates abortion. just want to tell you that. Okay. Now, let's look at some statistics here. And these statistics are not uh, very, uh, let's put it this way. <laughs> it's sad. Worldwide right now, not just in the United States, but worldwide, the number of abortions every year is approximately 42 million. And this is off uh, abortion website. It's, uh, you can just uh, type in abortion statistics. It's www.a as an apple, b as in boy, o-r-t-i-o-n-n-o.org. So abortionno.org. I totally agree with that. Abortionno.org. Okay, but anyway. A number of abortions a day worldwide is 115,000. 115,000 babies are butchered and murdered every single day worldwide. Where abortions occur. 83% of all abortions are obtained in developing countries and 17% occur in developed countries. Okay? Um Number of abortions per year, 1.37 million per year in the United States. There's 1.37 million babies slaughtered. And this was back in 1996. It's probably worse today. But it's 1.37 million back in 1996 that were murdered each and every year. The number of abortions a day in the United States is approximately 3,700 per day. So 3,700 babies are murdered each and every day in this country. So it's 52% of women obtaining abortions in the U.S. are younger than 25. 52% are younger than 25 years of age. Women aged 20 to 24 obtain 30%, 32% of all abortions. Teenagers obtain 20% and girls under 15 amount for 1.2%. Now, this is disturbing here. While white women obtain 60% of all abortions, their abortion rate is well below that of minority women. Black women are more than three times as likely as white women to have an abortion, and Hispanic women are roughly two times as likely. So th this is just sad, folks. I mean, this is really sad, and um, something has to be done about this um, if we don't want to get cursed. I can read the rest of these statistics, but it just uh, disturbed me, so I'm not going to do it. Now, in the remaining 15 minutes, I'm going to cover homosexuality. But before I do that, killing babies, unless the mother's life is in jeopardy, is sin according to the Bible. To simplify, is murder. Ever since one of the worst Supreme Court rulings in United States history, Roe v. Wade was enforced, millions of innocent babies have been murdered. Their poor blood has been spilled because of selfishness and greed. Almost 50 million babies have been murdered since 1973 in the United States. That's our wicked legacy in terms of abortion, folks. And God is judging this nation, and he will continue to judge this nation until we collectively realize that this is wrong and illegalize it. Instead of legalizing it, illegalize it. Okay. Homosexuality. Does God approve of it? No. 
Let's turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And let's find out. I'm going to read this in the King James Version. And this is what Jesus stated. And when I hear ministers try to justify this, they don't, they don't hardly ever quote to this scripture, Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19 will end all this, okay, about this debate of uh, whether Jesus was gay or whether he approved of, of being gay. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 1. And nobody can say, well, this is, this, is not, this is from the Old Testament. They can't make those excuses at all about nothing. All right, so Matthew chapter 19, verse 1. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea, which is the West Bank today, beyond Jordan. Verse 2, And great multitudes were followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away, put away, uh, Jewish idiom means divorce, his wife for every cause? So back then they were teaching that for any cause it was okay to divorce your wife. Verse 4, and he answered, so we know that the subject is marriage and divorce. Verse 4, and he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them, at the beginning made them male and female? So what he did, he went to the uh-oh, the Old Testament. He went to the Old Testament and quoted that scripture. Okay? And that scripture states that in the beginning, God made them male and female. He didn't make them male and male and female and female. Verse 5, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, not father and father and mother and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Verse 6, Wherefore they are no more twain or separated, but they're one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And unfortunately, that's a prophecy. That's what we're trying to do in this country and worldwide. We're trying to destroy what God has naturally put together, a man and a female. A male and a female should be married. Not a male and a male and a female and a female. I don't care what anyone tells me. I only go by what God's Word says. And if anybody can find a scripture that says gay is okay, which you won't be able to, that's the only way I will change. But there's no scripture in the Bible that says that being gay is okay. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 6 to 9. These scriptures are pretty clear, folks, okay? This is another uh, version of this uh, debate that he was having with uh, the Pharisees or the rabbis at that time. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 6. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Verse 7, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. In other words, get married to his wife. That's why he said wife. Verse 8, and they... Uh, twain shall be one flesh. So they were separated, but then there shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain separate, but they're one flesh. Verse 9, What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And unfortunately, man is trying to put it asunder. So your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, stated that don't destroy the institution of marriage. Don't let man put asunder what God has joined together. What does he join together? A male and a female in marriage. And that is the clear teaching of Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, his followers, his faithful followers, even added on to this teaching. In the last ten minutes, I hope I can get to it. Because it's very important. In Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 17 to 32. 
I know Barack Obama said this is an obscure passage. It's pretty clear to me what it's saying here. It's pretty clear to me. I don't know what's obscure about it. Romans 1, verse 17. Romans 1, verse 17. The good news shows how God makes people right with himself. God's way of making people right begins and ends with faith, as the scriptures say, the one who is right with God by faith will live forever. Verse 18, God shows his anger from heaven against all the evil and wrong things that people do. Their evil lives hide the truth they have. This makes God angry because they have been shown what he is like. Yes, God has made it clear to them. Verse 20, there are things about God that people cannot see, his eternal power and all that makes him God. But since the beginning of the world, this is an easy-to-read version of the Bible, those things have been easy for people to understand. They are made clear in what God has made, so people have no excuse for the evil they do. Okay? So, in other words, God has put in us a sense of what's right and what's wrong. Romans 1, verse 21. People knew God, but they did not honor him as God, and they did not thank him. Their ideas were all useless. They were not one, there was not one good thought left in those foolish, in their foolish minds. Okay, there was not one good thought left in their foolish minds. Verse 22. They said they were wise, but they became fools. Instead of honoring the divine greatness of God who lives forever, they traded it for the worship of idols, things made to look like humans who get sick and die, or like birds, animals, and snakes. People wanted only to do evil, so God left them and let them go their sinful way. And so they became completely immoral and used their bodies in shameful ways with each other. They traded the truth of God for a lie. They bowed down and worshipped the things God made instead of worshipping the one God who made those things. He is the one who should be praised forever. Amen. Verse 26 of Romans chapter 1. Because people did those things, God left them and let them do the shameful things they wanted to do. Women stopped having natural sex with men and started having sex with other women. Verse 27. In the same way, men stopped having natural sex with women and began wanting each other all the time. Men did shameful things with other men, and in their bodies they received the punishment for those wrongs. Okay? So you can read the rest of that, but Paul agrees with Yeshua that marriage is not between two men and two women. And I just want to add, how can two women that have children, the artificial way they have it, uh, how can they teach their children to obey the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother. It doesn't say, honor your father and your father and your mother and your mother. Okay, so that should tell you also, if you're thinking straight, that being gay is not something that God approves of. Okay, um, there's some other scriptures I wanted to quote. And looks like I'm going to have to continue on with this next week. Uh, but I'm going to quote some scriptures that I can quote right now anyway. Leviticus chapter 18. See, I wanted to go to the New Testament first because people incorrectly teach that Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality when he did. <laughs> okay, he said marriage is between a man and a woman. Why did he say don't don't destroy what God joins? Okay, obviously he knew what the deal was here. Okay, so Leviticus chapter eighteen. When God says don't do something, we do it, <laughs> and when God God tells us to do something, we don't want to do it. That's just the way we are. So Leviticus chapter 18. In 
in the easy-to-read version of the Bible, for clarity's sake here. Leviticus chapter 18, starting at verse 22. It says, Men, you must not have sexual relations with another man as with a woman. That is a terrible sin. You know, and he links this with bestiality, and he links it with all other types of abominations. In verse 24, he says, Don't make yourself unclean by doing any of these wrong things. I am throwing nations off their land and giving it to you because they did those terrible sins. And he lists homosexuality as a terrible sin. Verse 25, they made the land filthy. And that's what happens, folks. Uh, homosexuals do make the land filthy, according to the Bible. Now, the land is sick of those things, and it will vomit out the people who live there. Verse 26, so you must obey my laws and rules. You must not do any of those terrible things or sins. These rules are for the citizens of Israel and the people living among you and for anyone else that follows Israel. Verse 27, those who lived in the land before you have done all these terrible things. So the land became filthy. Verse 28, if you do these things, you will make the land filthy. He stressed this three times. The environment will be affected because of homosexuality. And it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were there before you. And he says, whoever does any of these terrible sins must be separated from their people. That's what the, the Word of God says. So don't get mad at me. I'm just quoting the Scriptures. That's what God says. Um, and then Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. The easy to read version of the Bible. If a man has sexual relations with another man as with a woman, they have committed a terrible sin. They must be put to death. They are responsible for their own death. Now, I'm not suggesting that we kill homosexuals. This is what God states. And back then, during the um, the time of Moses, they had a community where God was there in the presence of the Shekinah glory. And that's what they had back then. Of course, today we don't do that. Um, you know, that's that's not something we do because everyone is not trying to obey God like they were, and his government is not really set up. And when that's set up again, that's obviously going to be enforced again, that commandment when he comes back. Uh, we don't go around hating homosexuals and, and, and killing them. We don't do that. We try to love homosexuals and tell them, like I'm trying to, lovingly, that what their behavior is wrong, and that they should repent. And we have to leave it up to God to uh, judge them. It's not for us to judge anybody. Okay? All right. Um, let's see. But that's how serious God feels about that. So that's why I quoted that scripture. Okay, we have two minutes left. Um, now, Jesus prophesied, uh, that these end times that we're living in is going to be similar to Sodom and Gomorrah. All right? And let's turn to Luke chapter 17. I'm going to read a little bit of this, and then I'm going to pick up next week. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. He also linked this with Lot. That's what I was really trying to refer to, Lot. The days of Lot, that's when Sodom and Gomorrah occurred during his time. 
Verse 27, they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, indicating that the days of Noah were similar to the days of Lot, obviously, because he said likewise. Also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built. The same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Verse 30, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So in the time of his second coming, which we're living in today, uh, homosexuality will be prevalent. That's what he's saying here. And the sins of Sodom will be prevalent. And in, in Jude chapter 1, how much time do I have left here? One minute. Well, let's just stop here. And we're going to pick up in Jude chapter 1, verse 7 next week to understand what God prophesied through the apostles and the prophets about our behavior in this end time. Until next week, may God bless and keep you, and God willing, I'll be available to speak to you next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.